Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is caught for a touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Come on, little boy, boy, can you get it up? Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Happy holidays. Glad you could join us. In our next segment, we're going to give you the Sports Business Radio headlines of the week. Plenty of them. In segment three, the New Orleans Hornets. They're the first team in NBA history that's going to be owned by the league. George Shin, the controversial owner of the team, is out. We'll discuss that in segment three. All kinds of ramifications for the league, for the city of New Orleans, obviously for the players that play for the Hornets. We'll break that down in segment three. In segment four, Winter League Baseball meetings going on, some big contracts this week. We're going to go to our old friend Maury Brown from the biz of baseball.com, who's in Orlando. He'll join us to discuss the latest from the Winter League Baseball meetings. A couple of other notes. Visit my Sports Business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Follow us on Twitter or Facebook. Just past 3,000 followers on Twitter. Thank you for that. I'm at SB Radio. You can find the Facebook and Twitter icon on our homepage at sportsbusinessradio.com. Send me your sports business stories of the year. We're going to be doing our top 20 sports business stories of the year, December 25th and January 1st. You can listen to both of those shows on demand after the fact. But Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at sportsbusinessradio.com. You're never going to guess who's leading the NFL Pro Bowl in votes. I'll tell you coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is SBR. Back with more after this. will be out of sight. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the Yuletide gay. Make the Yuletide gay. From now on. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start. At the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs, Themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. 
It's time, baby. Special news bulletin. At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I want to be in the headlines. On Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio headlines sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit WarsawCenter.com for more information. Headline number one, a repeat of last year, but this time I think it's going to stick. Greg's Urban Meyer out as the head football coach at the University of Florida. He's won two national championships. He's only 46 years old. Kind of ironic. Coming up in a bowl game, Florida playing Penn State. Urban Meyer, 46 years old. Joe Paterno, been coaching for 46 years. So that's the matchup for Urban Meyer's last game at Florida. I am not convinced that we won't see Urban Meyer resurface again, probably in the NFL. I think if he can get a Pete Carroll type of deal where he gets all the say for an NFL franchise and someone throws $7 million or $8 million a year at him, I think he'll come back. And coach, I don't think this is the end of Urban Meyer, but I do think he'll take at least a year off. And, you know, now Florida, which is one of the elite programs in college football, they've got to find a coach and quickly because they're in the midst of key recruiting right now. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. He's a great coach. We know that. Um, I think I, we all knew he was going to leave Florida eventually. And, uh, yeah, right with you. I think he'll take some time off, but he'll be back, definitely. He's a good coach. He's, he's going to be back doing something. And, again, Florida, an elite job, so there will be lots of coaches lining up for that job. Could it be Bob Stoops from Oklahoma? There are other coaches that have ties to Florida that have coached there in the past. Uh, we will see. Could it be someone like a John Gruden who comes out of the broadcast booth to coach at Florida? There will be lots of resumes sent to A.D. Jeremy Foley, I am sure. Our next headline, for the first time in NBA history, the NBA has taken ownership collectively of a franchise. News broke this week, George Shin, the longtime owner of the Hornets, out as owner of the Hornets, and the NBA will take over running this franchise. I am going to break this down from A to Z in our next segment. Lots of ramifications for the league, for the city of New Orleans, for the team. What do you need to know? I will tell you in our next segment. Other NBA news in our next headline this week, the Players Union. We heard from them, and they said, look, we want to go back to 18 years of age. If someone wants to come to the NBA out of high school, they should be able to do that. Kobe Bryant, Amari Stoudemire, LeBron James, Kevin Garnett. These are players that have had success going from high school to the pro ranks. We don't think that you, the owners, should be able to put an age limit on when a player is able to earn a living in the NBA. So we want that. And then they did say that they'd be willing to move off of the 57% of basketball related income. That's big. They didn't say what number they'd be willing to go down to. But a lot of rhetoric back and forth between the players and the owners again this week doesn't sound positive. As we've discussed in weeks past, especially with Rick Buecher a few weeks ago from ESPN, I can't imagine that there's not going to be a work stoppage of some length. And I don't think we're getting any closer to getting anything solved between now and when the collective bargaining agreement expires next summer. Our next headline, the McCourts, Frank and Jamie. 
it's fitting this plays out in Los Angeles, Griggs. Lots of drama down there in Hollywood. A judge ruled this week that Jamie McCourt is part owner of the Dodgers. All kinds of ramifications there. We're going to discuss that with Maury Brown from thebizofbaseball.com. Coming up in segment four, speaking of Major League Baseball, monster deals this week. Carl Crawford signs a $142 million seven-year deal with the Red Sox. Jason Worth, seven years, $126 million with the Washington Nationals. Some big deals, but Griggs, the biggest deal of all this week that I saw, Howard Stern, five years, $80 million a year, a year to stay with SiriusXM. We talk about athletes, you know, but J-Lo's getting paid $13 million a year to be a judge on American Idol. It's interesting to me that we always talk about how much money athletes make, but when someone makes $20 million for doing a movie or $80 million for doing a radio show, not so much talk about it. It's funny, too, because, you know, going to radio school back in the day, everybody told you, you're not going to make any money in radio. You'll have a lot of fun, but you're not going to make any money. And then Howard Stern's pulling $80 million. Unbelievable. It really is, because it's on the heels of a $100 million a year contract that I think was a five- or six-year deal. So, uh, you know, lots of money. I guess some people must have found a forest of money trees, as I tweeted out this week, between the Red Sox, who, by the way, acquired Adrian Gonzalez and are going to pay him a ton of money. So between Gonzalez and Crawford, they'll pay those two a combined $302 million. And then the Nationals, $126 million to Jason Worth. To put that into perspective, the Nationals in the previous 20 years combined hadn't signed free agents to more than $122 million in deals. Our next headline, also sticking in baseball, get your calendar out. Put March on the calendar, put July on the calendar. March, Barry Bonds, perjury trial. You're not going to want to miss it. July, we learned this week, Roger Clemens's trial for perjury and other things has been pushed to July. Bonds, March, Clemens, July. I've said this before. I think Bonds gets off. I think Clemens is going to be the first high-profile athlete in the last 20 years that's going to go to prison. I think Clemens is going to prison. One of the reasons Clemens' trial is being delayed till July, Griggs, is because there are thousands of pages of documents that his defense team needs to comb through. And, you know, it's just funny, the interviews we've seen Rusty Harden, Clemens' lawyer, do, where he says this is going to be Duke lacrosse. Everyone's going to regret accusing Roger Clemens. There weren't thousands of pages of court documents against Duke lacrosse like there are against Roger Clemens. And that's why a lot of people think he's in a lot of trouble. Plus, you've got uh, trainer Brian McNamee, who's got syringes and DNA and other things like that to incriminate Clemens. Yeah, it's going to be definitely must-see TV for both those. But yeah, Clemens, I think, is one that could go on for a while. I mean, because there's so much paperwork. There's so much, you know, like you're saying, evidence and uh, backstories and that. And the media is going to just eat it up. It's going to be those two months are going to be some big time trials on TV. Our next headline, try this one on for size. We always talk about renaissance with athletes, Kobe Bryant and and others. Can Tiger Woods come back from his problems? One athlete who has shown that he's back is Michael Vick. Eagles quarterback Michael Vick leads all 
players in Pro Bowl voting, 729,000 votes. It was reported by NFL.com this week. He's 39,000 votes out in front of Peyton Manning. Griggs, when you've got Peyton Manning, you've got Tom Brady, you've got some iconic faces of the league who do lots of endorsements, are very, very much transcendent to the world of football. But Michael Vick, who had all of his problems, is leading the league in votes for the Pro Bowl. That's quite a statement. Yeah, it is. And I mean, he came out to play. I mean, and that's what I think did it is people were kind of watching, okay, is he back? Can he play the game? Can he catch up? And he just blew everybody out of the water. I mean, his his games are unbelievable. He's just tearing up the field. And that's why I think he's got the votes. Well, and what he's done is not only has he played spectacular MVP caliber football, by the way, I think Brady's MVP, um, but he's done the right things in the community. He's spoken out about dogfighting. He's gone and rolled up his sleeves and, and gotten engaged with the Humane Society in Philadelphia. That's why I think people are saying, all right, everyone loves a comeback. Let's give this guy a second chance. And boy, he's out in front of all of the all-star voting for the NFL. Coming up next, I'm going to break down the New Orleans Hornets situation. How long will they be in New Orleans? What does this mean for the NBA? First time they've ever had to take control of an NBA franchise. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Happy holidays. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. I'll hold your hands. They're just like ice. My mother will start to Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. This is Sports Business Radio. Well, for the first time in NBA history, the league is taking ownership of one of its teams. This week, the NBA announced that they would be assuming control of the NBA's New Orleans Hornets. Now, Griggs, this story has so many different layers to it, but here's what you should be watching for in the coming weeks. The New Orleans Times-Picayune has reported previously that the Hornets would be free to relocate if the 14,735 fan benchmark is not reached for the 13 games between December 1st and January 17th. The city of New Orleans would also require a $10 million exit penalty payable to the state as part of the Hornets' exit. Here's something that's really important to remember. 
the NBA has a list of owners, potential owners, who would like to own an NBA franchise in their back pocket at all times. One of the most attractive things to owners is, can I relocate this team to the city where I really want them to play? New Orleans is not a good NBA market. We've talked about this the last few years on this show. It wasn't a good market pre-Katrina. It's a poor market. It's even more poor after Katrina. You've got people just trying to pay their mortgage and pay their monthly bills. They don't have a few hundred dollars to go to an NBA game 41 times a year. The reason the NFL works there, eight home games. The NBA, 41 home games. People don't have that kind of money. So from an economic standpoint, not a good city for the NBA to have their product. The the other reasons this is happening is George Shin is like Darth Vader to David Stern. He's the Death Star. This guy has been a black eye for the NBA for a long time. First, the league and David Stern were not thrilled when George Shin moved a very successful Hornets franchise from Charlotte earlier this decade to New Orleans. Again, why would you take it from a really successful market to a market that is depressed? The other thing that has happened is that George Shin has had some sexual harassment allegations made against him, and he's had some off-the-court types of embarrassments that have also not made the league look very good, not made David Stern very happy. So for a lot of reasons, David Stern tap dancing on his desk, as I tweeted this week, that George Shin, this owner that had been a pain in his side, is out of the league. But the main reason that the NBA is taking ownership of the Hornets, Griggs, Shin couldn't pay his bills. He's been taking out lines of credit with the NBA to meet payroll and to pay his other expenses. This is like, you know, you basically putting a ton of debt on your credit card and saying, I'll pay you back later, I'll pay you back later. And the NBA at some point saying, well, you need to make that minimum payment. You need to make that minimum payment. If you don't, then we're going to have to seize your asset. Well, Gary Choist was close to working out a deal to buy the team from George Shin. Choist is a minority owner of the team. They were not able to come to terms. Thus, you now have this situation where the Hornets may not be long for New Orleans, as I wrote this week at sportsbusinessradio.com. And again, the main reason I think they're not long for New Orleans is because $10 million to move your franchise? Wow, that's cheap. To some billionaire, $10 million is like a $5 bill to you and me. Now, there are relocation fees that would have to be paid unless the NBA waives those because, don't forget, the NBA owns this team now, so they can make up the rules. And also, if they went into a territory where there's already NBA teams, they would have to pay a territory rights fee to those existing franchises. So as I wrote this week, there's some interesting scenarios. Where do the Hornets go from here? A lot of people have been asking me that this week. Are they going to stay in New Orleans? If they leave, what market might they go to? I think they're out of New Orleans. And I think that benchmark, the attendance benchmark, and watch March 30th, as I said, that's the date where the Hornets have to inform New Orleans we intend to move. I think they're going to exercise that, and I think this is the perfect out for them 
to leave New Orleans. The NBA is going to take a bit of a bruising because they've said, we want to stay in New Orleans. We want to keep basketball in this region that has been so battered. But at the end of the day, it doesn't make business sense. And the league, like any other league, is about making business sense. Who are some candidates to have the Hornets? Well, a lot of people have said, hey, great, basketball is going to return to Seattle. I got bad news for you. The reason basketball left Seattle is because there was not an NBA-caliber arena and because taxpayers in Washington said loud and clear, we are not going to fund an NBA-caliber arena. So unless you, private owner, want to bring in that money and build your own arena, we're not going to have a team here. Well, nothing has changed since the Sonics became the Thunder and moved to Oklahoma City. There's not a new arena there. The only way that Seattle could get a team is if someone like Microsoft CEO Steve Ballmer, who's long been rumored to want an NBA team, said, you know what? I got a group. We'll build the arena. We're going to relocate the team from New Orleans to Seattle. We'll finance all of this from A to Z. If that were to take place, something can happen. The other guy who's wanted an NBA team for a long time is Oracle owner Larry Ellison. Now, he missed out on the Warriors. He wanted the Warriors, but they were a little bit too expensive for his blood. He had a certain price that he was going to pay for what he thought they were worth, and they went for beyond that price. So he didn't get in on that deal, but he still wants an NBA team. He could buy the Hornets, but he'd have to pay a territory rights fee to relocate them to San Jose where the Sharks play, because Golden State has that territory. So he'd have to pay those owners a territory rights fee. Where's another place that the Hornets could go? And I think this is the most likely option. A few things would have to happen, but I think this is the most likely option. Anaheim, California. Orange County has lots and lots of money. They've got the Honda Center, which is an NBA caliber arena where the Hornets could play tomorrow. Anyone notice that A few months ago, as we talked about on this show, Magic Johnson, former Lakers great, cashed in $100 million worth of Lakers ownership and Starbucks franchises. He seems like he'd make a pretty good owner of an Orange County NBA team. Now, the relocation fee, again, probably not much of an obstacle. $10 million to the state of Louisiana, probably a little bit more to the other owners in the league, but... The territory fees that you would have to pay the Lakers and the Clippers, that would be the main obstacle in getting a deal done where the Hornets could move to Anaheim. But Magic Johnson, pretty charming guy. David Stern would like to see Magic Johnson own an NBA franchise. Some things could be negotiated to help get the Hornets to Anaheim. Now, look, the Seattle owners, or the now Oklahoma City owners, paid tens of millions of dollars to relocate the Sonics, now the Thunder, from Seattle to Oklahoma City. I don't think it would be nearly as expensive to relocate the Hornets to another city. Other potential cities, Kansas City, they have an NBA-ready arena right now. I don't think the NBA is ready to return to Kansas City. They failed there before. I don't think they want to go back there. Las Vegas, that's a, a can of worms that I don't think the NBA is ready to open up right now. Maybe one day, I don't think they're ready to open up that can of worms right now. So if I'm a betting man, I'm betting on two things. One, the Hornets are moving out of New Orleans. And that March 30th date where 
they can give notice. Watch that date. The other thing is, out of all the cities I just mentioned, I think Anaheim makes the most sense. We will see. We'll obviously be keeping our eyes on the situation. But uh, lots of responsibility for the league. And I know they're going to try and make it look like they want to keep the team in New Orleans. I just think at the end of the day, it's a broken economic model, keeping a team in New Orleans. All right, coming up next, Maury Brown, the biz of baseball.com. He's going to join us from the Winter League meetings in Orlando. Lots of baseball happenings this week. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. The lights are turned away down low. Let it snow, let it snow. When we finally kiss goodnight, how I'll hate going out in the storm. But if you really hold me tight. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, we'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Maury Brown. He is the president and founder, the do-it-all guy for the biz of baseball.com. He's joining us from Orlando where the Major League Baseball winter meetings are taking place. Maury, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Brian, it's always a pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me. So lots going on at the meetings, but let's start with the thing that was eye-popping to me and a lot of other people. Jason Wirth played for the Philadelphia Phillies. Seven years, $126 million deal with the Washington Nationals. To put that into perspective for all of you out there, it's more money than the Nationals or the Expos previously, had spent on free agents in the previous 20 years. That's a big, big deal. Jason Worth, is he worth that money? Well, I mean, that's the question of the day. Um, I interviewed Stan Kasdan, the former president of the Nationals. He's no longer with the organization, but still has ties to it. Um, he chuckled when I asked him what he thought about it, but he says, I understand what the media's uh, reflection is. It's, it's more money, I think, than they needed to offer and more years that needed to be offered. Um, they, they certainly needed to overpay. Uh, my understanding is, is that it was so much money. Scott Boris didn't even need to shop him. He just said, we'll take the money. And normally when that happens, it means that you're, you've gotten more than a fair price. You've gotten more than market value. And, uh, it, it was, it was, you know, happened right before the winter meeting started and it was all the talk on Sunday night. Um, I think it, it is probably, uh, more than he's probably worth. Cliff Lee is the dominant pitcher on the market, a lot of people in on him. Who are some other pitchers that are attractive in the market that are being discussed at the meetings? Well, right now, it's pretty. There's not a whole lot of situations in terms of starters. I mean, the focus seems to really be around 
police situation. That's your big blockbuster. So there's really not much going on there. There's mostly serviceable guys beyond that. Um, the situation that's interesting with Lee is that, the, you know, I mean, much like we saw with the Worth deal, there's been a rumor floating around that possibly other players might get in the mix, possibly the Washington Nationals might get in the mix. So there is that discussion. Uh, going on, and, and certainly, you know, the Texas Rangers is going to be in play, and so are the Yankees, and so that's what's going to make this interesting. That's why it was so important for Derek Jeter's contract to finally get sorted out and get that deal wrapped up uh, on uh, Tuesday. We'll talk about Jeter's deal in a minute, but the thing that's a little bit surprising to me, Maury, is the willingness of teams to commit long-term deals, big money, to players over the age of 30. Is that surprising to you? Yeah, I mean, it is in some senses. I mean, Derek Jeter's kind of a different animal than, than you might see. And there's certainly, you know, when you look at them in a vacuum and you just associate age, um, it, I think it's different than you had in the quote-unquote steroid era where there were, a, you know, it, everybody, it seemed, across the board was going well beyond uh, their decline years and, and performing above them. But Cliff Lee has been more than you know, serviceable. He's been exceptionally, you know, he's an inning eating, uh, you know, pitcher beyond the fact that he has great stuff. So that continues to move the bar. But is Cliff Lee a guy that you give seven years to? I mean, that's a lot of years for a pitcher. No. I mean, if it's me, no, I'm not going to give a pitcher seven years. I don't give, you know, I'm not going to give seven or 10 years to pretty much anybody because, I mean, there's just, it's just fraught with risk. Um, you, you know, position players, you can at least protect them. They're going to be, you know, they're, they're going to be, much more protected. They're not nearly as, as risky as pitchers, but um, this is kind of how the market has moved. I mean, I've been surprised over the years, you know, whether it was the John Lackey deal with with the, the Red Sox. It just seems to me that there's been teams willing to uh, assign more money to, to their pitchers because they're so valuable. There's in such need and pitching wins games. And if you want to try and do something, that seems to be how you're going to have to market yourself and get to get the players that you want to get under your uh, under contract. We're joined by Maury Brown. He's with the bizofbaseball.com. Derek Jeter's deal was finalized this week. Yankees fans can come down from the ledges. And, uh, you know, they got it done. Seems like both sides are happy. Give us some of the details of that contract. Well, so it's a three-year, $51 million deal, but it's got options at the end. It's a player option that goes on the end that gives him an additional $8 million. Um, he's most likely going to take that. I mean, if you're at the end of your career, you're going to do that. But the interesting thing is, is that it's loaded with uh, $9 million in incentives, and it's based on a point system, and it only kicks in um, at the end of that player option year. So for most of these players or contracts, they have options in this. This isn't too uncommon to see it where they say, hey, if you win the MVP, you get this. But this is only accessible in his final fourth year and is based on a point system on whether how he lands on those. He can earn up to $9 million. So, I mean, it's an interesting thing. And the thing that hasn't come out, the thing that I'm wondering about and I think a lot of people should be waiting on, is that there's some of the salary is going to be deferred. We don't know how much. We don't know for how long. We don't know whether there will be interest assigned to it. Um, but that's a component. So the Yankees are going to pay him extra, but they're going to defer it out over time. And so uh, he does get under contract. I don't think anybody thought otherwise that he wouldn't be with the Yankees. Um, and so that'll be the thing to watch. I mean, that fourth year is going to be key for the Yankees, whether he exercises that money or not. Yeah, the Steinbrenners took a hard-line stance with him, and they stuck to their guns. And at the end of the day, I think they got the deal done that they wanted to get done with him. And they were offering him a lot more money than anyone else was. 
Well, yeah. I mean, who was going to really look at him? I mean, there was some talk, you know, the Giants needed a shortstop, and they kind of looked into it, but nobody was, his value was going to be completely different elsewhere. Sure, people would come and see him, but he's intrinsically and always been associated with the Yankees. He's never wanted to play for any other team. Uh, here at the winter meetings, they were talking with uh, a bunch of Hall, future Hall of Fame managers and Lou Pinella, Joe Torre, and Joe Torre mentioned you know that he's never wanted to play for any other team than the Yankees and he couldn't really see him being any other way and I don't think anybody else did either let's talk about Adrian Gonzalez the slugger goes from the Padres to the Red Sox Red Sox give up some top prospects now Gonzalez you know when he's healthy he's great but he's had shoulder problems are the Red Sox going to sign him to a long-term deal? Because they just gave up a lot to get him, and if they're just renting him for the short term, that deal wouldn't seem to make much sense. They are going to sign him. Um, they are going to do it. But here's what's interesting, Brian. They're not going to finalize the deal until the opening day, and they're going to leverage a loophole in the CBA that allows players to be signed after opening day to be on the 40-man roster, but it doesn't count against the luxury tax for that year. So the Red Sox are concerned that they're bumping up against um, baseball's basically soft cap, the luxury tax. But in signing Gonzalez next year, after opening day, they'll have the parameters of it there. They all agree that he's going to be with the Red Sox but not put pen to paper until next year. That salary won't go until the 2012 calendar for their fiscal year. So it won't count against the luxury tax. And this is something that they've done before. They did it, people may not remember, but they did this last year with the Josh Beckett extension. So it's very creative on the side of the Red Sox. They're the only team that have done it, and it might be because they're the only team that has come close to hitting the luxury tax. And the Yankees blow through it every year, but other teams might not have. They're taking care of this, uh, this loophole in the CBA to get it done. What's some other news from the winter baseball meetings there in Orlando? Well, I think right now the the thing that you know certainly how the market is moving is is a been a big thing, and and uh, the news that uh, that it actually this is outside the news, but uh, is just kind of going on now is the fact that uh, a judge has ruled in favor of Jamie McCourt uh, basically having an interest in the Los Angeles Dodgers. Frank had said that that was not the case. I he had had documents that she signed that said she would not be owners of the Dodgers. So. Uh, there's going to be an appeals process, but it puts the possibility that the Los Angeles Dodgers may come up for sale um, clearly in, in more focus as we move forward. Yeah, I mean, talk about the San Diego Padres before. They went through a similar deal where the owners of that team, husband and wife, got a divorce. Neither one could afford to buy the other out. Thus, they were forced to sell the team. Are we looking at a repeat of that with the Dodgers? Yeah, I mean, that's always a possibility. I mean, Frank may be able to liquidate other assets and basically satisfy Jamie McCord if she says, you know, what I'm just really looking for here is more money. But if she really has her heart and soul set on the Dodgers and they can't make, you know, if they, I don't know how you would have a relationship work that would be a forced partnership like that. I mean, it just seems to me that um, one way or the other, unless Frank is able to somehow pull a rabbit out of his house through the appeals process, that they, they make this work. I think that a sale is probably much more realistic now than it ever has been before. Um, I just don't see how they, they're able to pull off a situation where they could communally own it. Now, the Dodgers, the McCourts not only own the Dodgers, but they own Dodger Stadium. And when you combine those two assets, they're worth well over a billion dollars, aren't they? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a key asset. 
Um, it's a cornerstone franchise. It's still, you know, the amazing thing about Thunder Stadium to me is that even given its age, it's now the third oldest stadium in baseball. You walk into it and it's still new, but it's, it's iconic. So it, the Dodger Stadium itself is a huge asset that's, that I think is very much favored and wanted and lusted after by a number of people. I think that you're going to see, you know, if the Dodgers come up for sale, I'm sure that it will be some record deal that we haven't seen in a long time. Um, you know, the Frank was left heavily in the purchase of the of the club, which was really surprising um, that the league allowed it to go through. But he was highly leveraged to, to make the purchase. So, uh, you know, this is the thing. How, how does Frank get out of this situation and how much more can he bleed red? before he's really forced into selling it. Yeah, I mean, because they've had a ton of legal fees with their divorce. And like you said, he was leveraged when he bought this thing. And you would think maybe in their heart of hearts, the people at Major League Baseball, if they could get an owner in to Los Angeles who has deeper pockets, doesn't have all this drama surrounding him, uh, they might like that a little bit better than what they've got right now. Well, yeah, and that's, that's I think, been the thing. I mean, this is one of those things that, you know, just continues to gnaw at the league. You know, they, they were able to get past the situation that was very nasty with the Texas Rangers, and that turned out in their favor. Um, you know, how long does this continue to drag out? This has, you know, been very ugly, I think, for the league. They were noncommittal on it today. They would not make a comment on it. Um, I can't imagine that that's anything other than, you know, disappointment and, you know, I don't know if anger is the right word, but I'm surely, you know, it's surely got to give, you know, Bud Selig more heartburn than he needs at night. Um they can certainly, I think, do better, mostly because, we're, as we're seeing, um, the Houston Astros are coming up for sale. We're looking at how this money is being spent right now. Um, baseball is projected to have gross revenues of $7 billion last year. I mean, to put that in perspective, it was 6.6 last year. So in a down economy, the league has continued to be able to not just grow them incrementally, but, I mean, a sizable amount of gross revenue coming in through television, that it's going to start to become much more interesting the market's going to start to even break up even more club sales to move forward and so if the dodgers are out there um given their iconic stature uh, i don't see how you wouldn't have a number of suitors and be able to get a considerable sum for them so what's the timeline on the dodgers going forward we had this ruling this week um we know frank is probably going to appeal when does this play out? By the time next baseball season rolls around, is there a chance that the Dodgers are up for sale? No, I don't know. Well, I mean, it's a possibility. I mean, anything's possible now, I think. Uh, you know, he Frank could just fold the whole thing, you know, and say, I give. But, um, you know, there's a lo- most analysts, legal analysts, seem to think that um, this could go out maybe as long as two years in the court, depending on how long Frank wishes to hold on to it. You know, I, it is... Jamie interested in settlement? Is that what this is really pointing to? Or is it really that she wants to try and own the club? But I think at some point they're going to have to meet in the middle. And I just don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Frank can appeal as fully as Thursday. Um, I think that this is, you know, clearly not going to be resolved by the middle and or even the end of this uh, coming season. I think this is going to drag out for a while. It's just how long is the, is the question. So last question on the Dodgers, if that is the case, Maury, you know, they've really been hamstrung with the ability to sign free agents and acquire players. Probably doesn't get much better for Dodger fans, does it? Well, you know, the interesting thing is you have like the one rebate deal and some of the deals have been kind of questionable in, in how they've been done. I mean, you know, the, somebody made mention here at the, at the meetings that, 
you know, Jamie might now, she could conceivably file an injunction to say, do that that I now have interest in the club. Uh, I want to make sure that Frank doesn't do anything to devalue something that I have ownership in, have him do something crazy, like make bad deals or something. Of course, I don't see this ever happening in a million years. But, I mean, it is one of those situations that this just continues to drag on to say that it's business as usual, which we've been hearing over and over. It can't be that way. It, it just doesn't make any sense that you're going to have such financial limitations going on and and continue to roll out a good product on the field. So uh, I don't think it bodes well for Dodger fans. It just doesn't seem to point to anything um, positive in terms of how the team goes on moving forward. Maury Brown with the bizofbaseball.com joining us from the Major League Baseball Winter League meetings in Orlando. Maury, as always, thanks for joining us. Happy holidays. Let's catch up soon. Hey, thanks a lot, Brian. Thanks for having me. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is SBR. Back with more after this. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is NBA Commissioner David Stern. I thought you did a wonderful job of handling the game ball situation. You listened to your players and the owners, and ultimately I thought you got it right. What did you learn from that experience? It probably pays to go the extra step to build a consensus, even though you don't think there's any other view that makes sense. My guest is Jack Nicholas. What are the main lessons the game of golf can teach us if we pay close enough attention? You develop relationships with people. I think you play 18 holes of golf with somebody. You get to know them pretty well. We're joined by Bill Hancock. He's the executive director of the BCS. What we want is for the best two teams to play in the championship game. Beyond that, I'm not sure it's really fair to say what's good for the BCS or what or what's bad for the BCS. Follow us at sportsbusinessradio.com and on Twitter at SB Radio. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Some quick notes on what we're all watching on the tube. As we've said for a long time, when Tiger Woods is playing on Sunday, we're watching. Even during the NFL season. His playoff loss at the Chevron World Challenge last weekend drew the tournament's highest rating for the final round in eight years. Griggs up 170% from last year when Tiger didn't play in the tournament. So again, you know, the PGA is tied to Tiger. Tiger's the goose that lays the golden egg. If he's not in it at the end, we're not watching when he is. 
we are watching. Yeah, and we talked about this when this whole story went down, you know, how PGA was going to take a hit, and they did. And now, look, Tiger's back in the running on something, and boom, they're right back in it. The other thing that I thought was funny this week is the BCS. Everything's on ESPN now. The BCS unveiling who's playing in the BCS Bowls, even though most of us already knew last Sunday on ESPN. Well, to put things into perspective, first of all, ratings down 86% from the same show on Fox the year before. Secondly, How the Grinch Stole Christmas on ABC Family drew higher ratings than the BCS Bowl selection show. Griggs, that should tell you everything you need to know. (laughs) That's awesome. I did not know that, but that's uh, hilarious. And actually, I was watching the uh, the Grinch, so I was right there with them. You and 4.2 million other people watching the Grinch, and like I said, a lot more people watching the Grinch on ABC Family than the BCS Selection Show on ESPN. Lots of thank yous on our show this week. Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Jared Melzer, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, Kalkoff Bikes, and New School Media Coaching. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Go to sportsbusinessradio.com, click on the podcast page or the iTunes icon. I'm on Twitter at SB Radio. We're on Facebook. Find that icon on our homepage as well. Hope you have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio.